So, Rachel. Yeah? The fate of the Enterprise hinges on the outcome of a duel between Kirk and the vicious lizard-like commander of an alien spaceship. Oh, Chris, have we made it to the lizard guy of Earslap fame? Yes! Hey! I've seen pics and gifs and it looks pretty silly, so we must be in for a Kirk-Fu-packed episode. Maybe with aliens watching them fight as though they're gladiators. Mm Mm-hmm. I know the setting, as this is on the Vasquez Rocks calendar. Mm -hmm. What will the rest of the crew be up to while this vicious fella's fighting Kirk? Will rainbow guns be allowed in the duel? (laughs) And how did Kirk end up in a fine mess this time? (laughs) Let's go watch this thing! Hachel, regarde Star Trek! Oh, mon dieu, c'est magnifique. (laughs) (laughs) That was our listener, Steve Dempsey, doing Rachel Watches Star Trek in French. (laughs) Thank you, Steve. Send yours in, everybody, if you fancy being on the front of the show. If you've just beamed in, I, Chris Lackey, a Star Trek fan, have convinced my wife, Rachel Lackey, who has never watched any Star Trek, to watch the original series with me and talk about it here on... Rachel watches Star Trek. Before we get started, we have a sponsor this week. It's a recurring sponsor whom I love, whom you love, Nowhere Streetwear. Clyde's back and he's got some new designs in his pocket too. Yes, one of the new designs is called Morning Restart and it's got the little kind of Mac loading green, you know, when you restart your Mac, how yeah. it spins around, it's got that in the cup of coffee. Yes, if you're a coffee lover and, and maybe a tech lover, yeah. that one's for you. Absolutely. And if you like the Eagles, is it? <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of, a, kind of a 60s vibe to it. If you like Cthulhu and a 1960s hippie-ish flair to it, uh-huh. cheeky little combo, <laughs> then head over and look at that new design too. It's lovely. There's a ton of great t-shirts over there. He's an amazing artist. I want every single one of these shirts. Yes, They're great. I think you should probably have most of the designs tattooed on you. I have no tattoos on my body, but so if there's I... Pl- blank canvas. <laughs> But if I was going to have a tattoo, it would be one of these designs. Whoa, high praise indeed. (laughs) So head over to NowhereStreetWear.com and check them out. For those of you that have been with us on our five-year mission, welcome back. Welcome back. This week I was pretty excited. The Arena is one of my favorite episodes as a kid. Mostly because I thought the Gorn was the coolest alien ever. (laughs) And I have to admit, it's been quite a while since I've watched this episode, so I was hoping that I wouldn't be disappointed. So let's get into the synopsis. We start off in the transporter room where Kirk, Spock, McCoy, O'Hurley, Kellowitz, and Lang are beaming down to the Federation outpost on Cestus Three. Again, some new guys, and Chris insists on naming them. (laughs) Fun fact... Fun fact, the first time the word Federation has been used on the show. Oh, they're really finding their groove now. We've had Federation and we've had I.I. Captain. It's all happening. (laughs) Oh, so this is an observation post, apparently, but what is one? In Next Gen, they have a cultural observation post, but I don't think that this is one of those. A cultural observation post is where they have a hidden little secret base where they observe more primitive civilizations without them knowing that they're there. Oh, okay. And Cestus 3 doesn't have any native life on there as far as we know. So I don't think it is a cultural observation post, just maybe an observation post that observes that area of space. Uh, So there's an observation post on the planet rather than the planet being used to observe other areas of space or something. Yeah. Yeah, didn't realize that. They've been invited to the planet by Commodore Travers, who is said to lay out these amazing meals. Ooh. McCoy wonders if he brought his personal chef. And Kirk says, rank has its privileges. 
And they laugh about it. Because <laughs> they do. It doesn't take much to get them going. And I, I'm concerned that what would happen if like a real stand-up comedian got on board that ship? They yeah. would all just be rolled over on the ground laughing, wetting themselves. <laughs> and that comedian could take over the ship. <laughs> that's the whole plot right there. Maybe that's why they stuck to the tragedies when they had the Shakespeare Festival. There if they'd go. got Midsummer Night's Dream in there, oh, who knows what would have happened? <laughs> Kirk's in full twinkle mode already, and McCoy is chomping at the bit for some non-reconstituted food and booze, no doubt. So much that they don't listen to Spock's scepticism about the Commodore's request that they bring a tactical team with them. McCoy is unnervingly jolly. Spock says, you are a sensualist. You bet your pointed ears I am. <laughs> he is a sensualist, isn't he? Yeah. Then it's up under the heat lamps and off they beam. <laughs> heat lamps. <laughs> they do look like they'd be there to keep food warm. They, they do, you're right. The work to party ratio has been going down lately, I notice. What do you mean? First they've had a cocktail party and a Shakespeare festival, then a shore leave, and now they're off to a dinner party. <laughs> but, you know, they uh, they work hard. They deserve to play hard. They do work hard. <laughs> they finally beam down and what? The place, the whole outpost has been destroyed. Ooh. Fun fact, this was an old Alamo set from a movie in the 1930s. Huh. Waste not, want not. When the show opened up and we saw this whole big set, I was like, whoa, they really went all out on the budget for this yeah. thing. But it was just an old set they were using. Wow, guys, so big in America that you could just leave massive sets just lying around <laughs> yeah. for decades. <laughs> they run around to take cover as Kirk yells, full alert, it's a trap. He does an excellently silly series of rolls in the dust, <laughs> crawling on his legs and elbows, <laughs> zigzag running. They find a survivor, Lieutenant Harold. He's badly hurt. Spock whips out his tricorder and detects that there are non-colony cold-blooded life forms nearby. The gone! Poor Red Shirt O'Hurley stands up and says, I think I see them over... And he's vaporized. We barely knew you, Hurley. <laughs> then the crew seems to be getting shelled. You know, like there's whistling... You know, that kind of thing. Which doesn't feel very high tech to me. Yeah, but good point. Fun fact, this episode supposedly gave Shatner, Nimoy, and Kelly tinnitus. Oh. Which they had all their lives. Oh, no. So way to go, health and safety, protecting the actors. Oh, my granddad had tinnitus after the Second World War being a... Morse code um, operator. Yeah. And you've got it as well, haven't I you? I do, yeah. I think it was uh, too many years of animating with headphones on far mm. too loud. Oh, well. Aww. Back in space, the Enterprise is under attack by an unidentified starship. Kirk insists that Sulu's priority must be to protect the ship, not to protect him. They can't lower the screens to beam them up because it'll make the ship more vulnerable. The y screens are? Yes. In later episodes, they call them shields, but the uh, deflector screens are used to protect the ship from harm, you know, from energy weapons, from photon torpedoes, mm -hmm. and even projectiles, things that like asteroids and things like that. It's Would just bounce off the energy field or something that it creates. What? Yes, that's right. Yeah. Oh, okay. I thought they meant literally tiny little screens that kind of lower down from the ship so that the beam <laughs> can come out and they don't want to get shot in that Achilles heel. No, <laughs> no, no, no. Kirk is anxious not to be with his love, the ship. <laughs> he phones in his instructions for firing the weapons. Sulu is in command. Mm. A Japanese-American in command in a 1960 show. Oh, yeah. Very progressive. Kirk then gets blasted into a crater, but keeps talking at Sulu with, never mind about me, protect my ship. <laughs> Kirk orders Sulu to return fire, which doesn't have much effect on the alien ship. He then tells Sulu to go photon torpedoes, and he does, but again, not much effect. Kirk says, look, you keep that ship safe, 
even if you got to leave us behind. And Ooh. Sulu reluctantly agrees. What's Spock's little tiny TV in a binocular case? That's his tricorder. Oh, is it? They haven't shown it in detail before, have they? Oh, maybe they haven't shown it. I, I mean, I'm so familiar with it. It's, yeah, it's got a little TV screen on there. What for? To, well, that's how they read it. It detects things. So the results of that detection would come up on that little screen. All right. Like a little phone. Like a phone. Yeah. 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 I guess so, yeah. Oh, okay. It's not for watching TV or <laughs> doing like FaceTime sort of thing. <laughs> I haven't seen the screen used yet. I don't that's know. So I was confused. Yeah. I don't know if they ever do show the screen actually being used ever. Spock decides he's got to get to Kirk to warn him that the enemy are moving. He loves Kirk. He does a bit of rolling and scrabbling through all the firing and they're together again. There's lots of muck on their cheeks now. <laughs> So Kirk has gotten a grenade launcher out of the arsenal. Kellowitz has come over as well. Mm. Uh, they tell Kirk that the enemy is moving towards their location. Kellowitz says that Lang has been killed. Kirk asks where Kellowitz thinks that the enemy is, and he gives Kirk some vague idea of where to shoot. Kirk puts his blue balls to good use <laughs> and loads one of them into the little telescope-looking cannon. <laughs> Whatever Kirk shoots, it is a doozy. Kellowitz even warns him, says that maybe they're a little too close a range to be firing this weapon. But Kirk does anyway, and kaboom, it's very effective. Sulu calls in and says, hey, the aliens just beamed up and they're hightailing it out of here. Sulu beams them all up and sends down a medical team to search for survivors on Kirk's instruction. And then Kirk and the gang are off to chase the alien ship. We go to Kirk and Spock in the med bay with the recovering Lieutenant Harold. It's one of those hard to pull off acting challenges again, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. A person with lots of exposition to present but who's strapped to a bed and traumatized. So he's rolling his head side to side and lifting his head up and down from the pillow. That seems to be the method. But at least he's not gurning as much as the guy in uh, Dagger of the Mind. He does a better job, I think, than him. <laughs> yes. Uh, Harold explains that the aliens knocked out their phasers before they knew what was going on, leaving them totally defenseless. Kirk says... Yeah, I was right earlier. These aliens totally faked the message to get us into a trap. Ooh, that's got to hurt. Since the Enterprise is the only starship in that area of space, it would be a very powerful strategic blow. Kirk says, this must be an invasion. So we got to chase after that ship and blow them up to show them that we are the best. Ooh. Kirk clearly has some revenge on the mine. Spock challenges these assumptions. He looks really concerned, but he still respects Kirk's authority. Kirk orders everyone to battle stations and to take the ship to warp six. Oh, what a rip-off, eh? They were really looking forward to that dinner party. Quirk <laughs> oh. questions Spock on the data of that area of space. Spock says they don't have much information. There are only space legends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that really annoyed you for some reason, didn't it? <laughs> well, you know, why do you have to put space in front of everything just because they're in space? It's like, have you had your space lunch yet? No, <laughs> I've just been doing some space cleaning and some space laundry. <laughs> With my space detergent and my space washing machine. Like, it's a given. You don't have to put space in front of it about yeah, this area. but they're out there in space. Right, but... Flying he, around in space, those legends. Uh, but <laughs> Not local legends, space legends. <laughs> but you could just say legends. You can just say, I'm going to have lunch. I'm not having space lunch. Yeah, but the lunch isn't happening out in space, but the legends are. But the legends aren't really happening in space unless, like, somebody's floating out in space telling stories by themselves. Yeah, but would you say local legends, international legends, space legends? 
uh, I would maybe say intergalactic legends. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Because space doesn't, things don't happen necessarily. In, I mean, planets are in space and the legends would be on those planets. But wouldn't you like to be a space legend? I would like to be any kind of legend. Oh. But I don't think that's going to happen. That's Aww. on the cards. You're a legend in this house. Yes. <laughs> so the alien sees them on their tail and jumps to warp seven. Kirk says, go to warp seven. Ooh. Scotty and everyone else starts doing these side glances. Mm-hmm. Spock says, it's a little bit dangerous. And Scotty says, well, we can either catch them or blow up trying. Spock brings up some Starfleet goodness, like maybe we shouldn't just kill things when we have other options. Yeah, maybe we shouldn't put our own lives at risk too. Yeah. He suggests to Kirk that the chase may be enough to ward them off. Mm -hmm. He's respectful, but he's persistent. Yeah. He follows and stands near Kirk until Kirk asks his opinion, which is then dismissed. (laughs) Kirk gets kind of snarky with him in this episode. He's got a power craze going on and he looks Spock right in the eye as he orders all stations battle ready. What do you think about that? I think that Kirk is thinking Spock is being a jerk. Hmm. Uh, That these guys killed everybody on that colony and almost killed everybody on their ship. Mm -hmm. It's not like, well, maybe they did it. It's like, no, they for sure did it. They need to go down. They need to be punished. We need to show our strength. How do they know that for sure? Because there was no other ship in the area and then they attacked them. Something attacked them and then their ship took off, didn't it? Yeah. And assumed a link. Well, the people that were on the planet that were attacking them beamed up to that ship. It's pretty... Pretty solid evidence, I think, in any court of law, he would go, yeah, you were the ones that killed everybody on that planet, especially since they've got Lieutenant Harold's testimony. And they probably have DNA evidence. They probably have all those things. They might. They're not looking at it, though, are they? I say bring back Trelane and his wig. Get this thing sorted properly. (laughs) Sulu says the enemy has jumped to warp eight. And then Kirk says, go to warp eight. Everyone looks worried. Yeah, I really like this scene. Solid writing. It does a a great job of ratcheting up the tension. The stakes are super high. And I I also felt it when Kirk says, go to warp eight. Like, oh, no, he didn't. Oh, no, he didn't. (laughs) Like seven is dangerous. He's going to eight. What? Yeah, the scenes on the bridge worked a lot better than those on the planet, I thought. Yeah. Uhura reports a scanning beam from an uncharted solar system that appears to be a third party curious about the Enterprise. The alien ship suddenly begins to slow, finally stopping dead in space. How far behind them have they been? Wouldn't they have overtaken it by now at these ridiculous speeds? Yeah, I was thinking that myself, that it seemed to be a long time from once they got the information that the ship had stopped Mm. before they had caught up. But maybe the Gorn ship had a really big head start. Kirk is all ginned up. We've got them, he says. Then everyone lurches forward and grabs hold of things. The ship's been suddenly stopped. The big lights are out. Weapons are down. Flashing multicolored lights appear on the ship's screen. These are the Metrons. We are the Metrons. You are one of two crafts which have come into our space on a mission of violence. This is not permissible. Yet we have analyzed you and have learned that your violent tendencies are inherent. So be it. We will control them. We will resolve your conflict in the way most suited to your limited mentalities. Captain James Kirk. This is Kirk. We have prepared a planet with a suitable atmosphere. You will be taken there, as will the captain of the Gorn ship, which you have been pursuing. There you will settle your dispute. I don't understand. You will be provided with a recording translating device in hopes that a chronicle of this contest will serve to dissuade others of your kind from entering our system but you will not be permitted to communicate with your ship. You will each be totally alone. What makes you think you can interfere? It is you who are interfering. We are simply putting a stop to it. 
The place we have prepared for you contains sufficient elements for either of you to construct weapons lethal enough to destroy the other, which seems to be your intention. The winner of the contest will be permitted to go his way unharmed. The loser, along with his ship, shall be destroyed in the interests of peace. The contest will be one of ingenuity against ingenuity, brute strength against brute strength. The results will be final. Just a There will be no discussion. It is done. What was with Uhura losing her cool like that? Mm. That is so on Uhura. Yeah. Kirk disappeared off the bridge just like that last week. <laughs> oh, yeah. And Sulu, too. Yeah, and she kept it together. Yeah. Maybe this is just a bridge too far. It's like too many times has her captain just disappeared off the bridge yeah. in a short span of time. A bridge too far. <laughs> now we know the loser ship will also be destroyed to end the conflict. That's high stakes. Yeah. I suppose it was to increase the sense of danger that they had Uhura screaming. Mm -hmm. It was followed by Spock walking forward towards the camera and raising both eyebrows. <laughs> and then gone, bedazzle-eyed, flaked-arm-and-toothed green lizard guy with a muscular body and organza tabard. Yes! What's organza? Just the sparkly fabric. Oh, okay. All right. You know, I love this thing. It's just awesome. It does have a good look to it. The Gorn gets a tree branch, so Kirk gets one, a rubbish one. After one go with those, the Gorn reverts to swinging one arm, then another, at Kirk very slowly. Kirk gets in a very gentle, double-fisted back punch. It's like they've just learned the choreography and they've been told to practice it in slow-mo for precision. <laughs> But then they just filmed the rehearsal and moved on. <laughs> the guy seems no threat at all. Maybe the Gorn doesn't want to hurt Kirk and hopes if they faff around for a while, the aliens will change their minds. Well, you know, I think what it is is that they're trying to show that the Gorn is slow and Kirk <laughs> is fast. <laughs> I didn't have to go to that extreme, though. Uh, I agree. That Couldn't is... they have shown that Kirk is fast? Yeah, and that the Gorn just moves a little bit slower than Kirk. Yeah, it seems it seems kind of ridiculous. And reptiles really aren't necessarily that slow. I mean, mm. alligators and crocodiles, they can do bursts of speed quite yeah. quickly. Just think about a lizard running across some ruins. Yeah. Yeah, so. like grease lightning when they need to be. <laughs> then it's ear clap. Yeah. Kirk gets a big rock and he throws it from his chest and he does some good acting, good weight acting, because it looks yeah. like it's actually a really heavy rock. And it, maybe it was. I think it's a good prop. Because yeah, you don't actually see the rock go, f you see Kirk throw it and then it cuts to the rock hitting the gorgeous in the chest which mm. just bounces off and he stops for a second and then just keeps walking again mm. so you're like whoa that guy is tough yeah but then the gorn picks up this massive boulder mm. this huge thing and then he throws that at kirk kirk is too wily he sees the big rock coming and he's just easily able to step out of the way yeah so i think it's showing that there's a bit of a stalemate here gorn is super strong and super tough but he's really slow and yeah. kirk is really fast but he's kind of weak compared to the gorn so they can't really seem to hurt each other they're gonna to have to be a little bit more clever about mm. their attacks so kirk gets to high ground and records a message while he's there to be delivered after his death the metron said that we'll give you these translation recording devices mm. to be a warning for a future aliens that come to our space so that's what this is kind of his testament of, of what's going on or to encourage them to talk it out oh it could be he knows that barehanded he's got no chance and it's a stalemate as you said back on the ship spock leaves a channel open for communication from kirk but he's got no strategy for helping him mccoy no longer jolly is angry about his logic again this time that he isn't using it <laughs> 
They are helpless to assist. Damned if you do, damned oh, if you don't. Mackay. The Gorn is chuckling to himself. <laughs> this part I really dug because the Gorn is chuckling to himself, doing some stuff with some vines, uh, obviously yeah. building some kind of trap. He loves it. And I love the Gorn's voice because it's just some guy going, <laughs> ah. like there's no vocal effects on there at all. There's no taking a bear sound and slowing it down or mixing it with an alligator. Just, <laughs> yeah, good idea. Ah, <laughs> Just like that. Yeah. And Kirk finds some diamonds. And the Gorn creates a, a carved sharp stone. He like whittles one out. Mm -hmm. Whittles one out. Well, you know, it's the stone. He chips away the stones and makes a, like a flint dagger. Just sounded like wanking. <laughs> <laughs> Kirk spots a rock perched up high and manages to roll it off down and onto the Gorn, crushing him. Kirk runs down for a look, but the Gorn gets up. And Kirk runs off into an incredibly obvious trap stretched between rocks. The Gorn slowly approaches with his stabby stone, hissing and gurgling. This very clever Gorn, I mean, he caught Kirk with a crappy trap, mm -hmm. so he's got to be awesome. Now decides, if I'm going to stab him, I'm going to have to move this boulder out of the way. <laughs> So he moves the boulder out of the way and the Kirk just jumps off and runs away. <laughs> well, even he knows that you can't touch Shatner's face. <laughs> <laughs> Back on the Enterprise, the crew has power, but they can't move and they have no idea why. It must be because of some crazy Metron technology that they have absolutely no understanding of. The Metrons call the Enterprise back and they say Kirk seems to be losing the battle. And they thought that the Enterprise might want to see what's going on. The view screen turns on and we could see Kirk on the planet with the Gorn. And this is a thing that always annoyed me in TV shows when they have, specifically science fiction shows, when they show flashbacks to things, mm. they just show what the audience has seen. Mm -hmm. It's like there are close-ups, there's medium shots, yeah. there's reverses. It's like, who are these Metron directors and camera Metron people that are putting this whole thing together? <laughs> in real time. It doesn't make any sense. If they were recording it, they would probably have one or two cameras and they would either like be floating or they would be hidden mm -hmm. or they would be... But when doing these shows, they should have an extra camera that is just kind of a wide of mm. the whole scene to represent what the Metrons are recording. Yeah, they did this in the Menagerie as well, didn't yes. they? They could cut between the wide and what they're presenting for us as a TV audience. Yeah, but you're right. It, it is more work and it's just easier to do it that way. And to do a wide shot, you have to get everything out of the way, mm -hmm. all the lighting. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that sounds like a faff. It does. <laughs> Crew can now see but not help, which is really painful, I think. Mm. Kirk's almost exhausted, but he finds a load of yellow powder and he knows it's sulfur. He limps off. Then he finds a load of white powder. Spock says from the ship, it's potassium nitrate. Saltpeter. Saltpeter? Saltpeter. It's, yeah, it's just a, a more common name for potassium nitrate. Oh, sounds yeah. like a little imp or something. <laughs> Are you thinking of Sooty Peter? Oh, maybe. Yeah, that's it. Okay. Yeah, shock-headed Peter. I don't know. There's a lot of Peters. <laughs> Thankfully, Kirk knows what all substances are by tasting them. So this thing that Kirk thought was some kind of recording device chirps up and it's the Gorn captain. It tells Kirk, stop evading me and just let me kill you. This is taking too long and eventually I'll win because I'm tough as nails. You're all messed up already. So you're going to, you're just going to die a slow, painful death. Let mm. me catch you and I'll kill you quickly, painlessly. Ooh, right. I suppose Kirk can't evade him forever. He's going to die of dehydration fairly soon if mm. he just keeps running. Maybe if they'd mentioned that, it would have created more urgency. Yeah. Well, I mean, having a lizard guy chasing after you is pretty... Slowly <laughs> wandering around. Let's <laughs> say. Has anybody edited a karaoke video together with the Gorn singing into his little <laughs> silver mic? <laughs> what would the song be? Uh, 
a duet of summer nights. <laughs> Endless love. Hey, you know, I just thought of something here. This is the Gorn pursuing Kirk. It's very similar to what a Komodo dragon does, where they have a very uh, infectious bite. It's got a lot of bacteria in there. Ooh. So that what they do is they'll find their prey. They'll just get one bite on them mm. to infect them. And then they just kind of follow them slowly mm. as they get really sick. Yeah. And then when they get sick and they die or they're weak enough that they can't run anymore, they go in and they eat them. Mm, so maybe that's kind of like what the Gorns, because Kirk's injured. So he's just slowly following and waiting for him to die. Right. Yeah. He can really bide his time because yeah. he knows that he's weakening. Yeah. Mm, good call, Drinkles. Uh, Kirk says about the Mercy killing, oh, Mercy, like you showed those people in Cestus 3. And the Gorn says, your people invaded our space. We were protecting it. Mm. We see the folks on the Enterprise see this exchange on the view screen. And McCoy is like, maybe we were in the wrong. What do you think? Is it like an infestation of ants? You'd kill those, wouldn't you? Well, yeah, but I don't know about this. I mean, sure, it may be their territory, but how were the humans to know that it was their territory? There's no markers, and the Gorn didn't say anything to them. They just went in and slaughtered them all. To me, I think that the Gorns are really aggressive and jerks about the whole thing. Yeah, they are aggressive, and they didn't use any other techniques before and, uh, just attacking them as far as we know right an intelligent species moves in on one of your territories i mean maybe they were doing it because they were scared and they thought that if they warned them that then they could sh shore up their defenses and they would be harder to get rid of mm. but still uh, you know you think you give these people the benefit of the doubt they're a spacefaring race so yeah eh, i don't know kirk finds a big bit of hollow bamboo spock says good Good. He knows. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it's like the crystal maze. But they can't help him. I'm glad I don't have to rely on my chemistry lessons in a crisis. <laughs> kind of vaguely know that there are some metals that float and combust and that's about it. Yeah. That's funny. Crystal Maze. It's a game show here in the UK where a team of people have to solve a bunch of puzzles. It's just a team of friends who yeah. are totally unprepared. Yeah. and the, But they're quite easy. Yeah, well, it takes... It's the time limit that's yes, the problem. they've got like two, two and a half minutes, uh, three mins. Three mins. To get through them. And uh, it's it's a fun show and they've got lots of interesting themes if like an Aztec area. and a... If you can be bothered, check out on YouTube the one where the guy is trying to get over the um, space-themed <laughs> obstacles. <laughs> we'll put oh, a note... I've got to put a link to that. Yeah, I'll put a link to that in the show notes, man. That is, oh. that is something. Kirk has figured out how to make gunpowder using sulfur, coal, and the potassium nitrate, and then uses the bamboo as a cannon with the diamonds as ammunition. Hmm. So Kirk starts mixing these materials together, and I was thinking, wow, is it that easy to make gunpowder? <laughs> so I went online, and it is not that easy to make gunpowder. <laughs> Which is probably a good thing. Yes, it requires a lot more time and precise measurements to get the mix just right. But quick, Kirk, he's slowly wandering over, <laughs> and you haven't even got a source of ignition yet. <laughs> Yeah, the way it's edited, it seems that Kirk makes gunpowder a weapon and creates fire in about 30 seconds, <laughs> yeah. which obviously is preposterous. By tearing a little strip off his trousers and somehow creating a spark on that with his recording device. Yeah, I don't know. And a rock. Yeah, yeah it's, it's pretty ridiculous. Just before the Gorn is on him, the cannon is ready. Kirk lights it and kaboom. Kirk blasts him, then rushes over to hold the stabby stone at the Gorn's heart. But then he decides he won't kill him. Maybe he thought he was protecting himself when he attacked the outpost. So he shouts up that they'll have to get their entertainment someplace else. Mm. But Crazy was about to save everyone on the Enterprise's lives. You know, his moral code, mm -hmm. like just to kill a defenseless foe is pretty evil. Mm -hmm. Like even if that guy was going to kill him, and I would say that responsibility doesn't fall on Kirk, that falls on the Metrons. The Metrons are the ones killing everybody on the Enterprise. 
Yeah. That's uh, to me, Kirk not killing him is standing by his moral and ethical code. Yikes, though, you got the trolley problem there, haven't you? Do you kill one man to save your own hundreds of fellow crew people? Yeah, I don't. Well, obviously, in this particular episode, it works in his favor. Mm. But I. Spoiler! (laughs) (laughs) Coming up in two more seconds. Two more seconds. But I feel that Kirk made the right decision. And I would say that I hope I would make that same decision Mm. in that circumstance. He's doing a bit of flip flopping, though, isn't he? But that's the interest of the episode. Yeah, that's the interest of the episode is that he is hell bent for leather. To destroy these guys. And then mm. once he has to do it, you know, by hand, stab him with a, a yeah. rock, that it becomes much harder to when do. When he has become defenseless. Yeah. You know, there was an episode of Mythbusters where they build this bazooka oh, yeah. out of bamboo and stuff. It does not work. Oh, <laughs> does it just explode the bamboo? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so exit the gone. He just pops out and enter Roman looking guy in sparkly calf length dress and crossed over silver ribbons on his legs. <laughs> He's impressed with Kirk's mercy. Yes, see, see. Yeah, he says it would no longer be civilized to kill him. He offers, but Kirk declines to have the Gorn killed. Maybe we can talk and reach an agreement, he says. The Metrons promise that they will meet up with humans again in over a thousand years when they think humans will no longer be half savage and they'll be ready. So there's hope. In the original script, there was a line of the Metrons where he said that he actually lied and they were going to kill the winner of the fight. Oh. Because that would show that they are more dangerous and a, and a violent threat to the Metron people. Oh, goodness. Kirk tells the Metron that he hopes that the Gorn and the Federation can work out their differences. Kirk pops back up to the ship all cleaned up. They've ended up across the galaxy. Yeah, 500 parsecs, which is about 1,600 light years away. McCoy, now back to his other personality, gives Kirk a squeeze on the shoulder and a smile. After you touched off your primitive cannon, Captain, we lost the picture the Metron was sending us. You saw what happened down there? Most of it. I would be interested in knowing what finally happened. We're a most promising species, Mr. Spark. As predators go, did you know that? I frequently had my doubts. I don't. Not anymore. And maybe in a thousand years or so, we'll be able to prove it. Never mind, Mr. Spark. Doesn't make much sense to me either. Take us back to where we're supposed to be, Mr. Sulu. Warp factor one. Warp factor one. A thousand years, Captain. Well, that gives us a little time. There's a bit of twinkling between them, but there's no relief from Spock, of course. Mm. Instead, he's just curious how the story had ended. There must be a glimmer inside him that would like to give Kirk a hug or maybe a back rub. <laughs> Rachel, this slash fiction has changed you. <laughs> they had a back rub the other day. Oh, he thought it was Spock giving him a back rub. Right, yes, but that's that's very plutonic back rub. We've already discussed this. this... Yes, sure. Platonic back rub. Now's the time. <laughs> He's just nearly been killed. Come on, if there's ever a time, it's not a little bit of a kink in your back. It's when you've almost died. Break out the back rub. Oh, golly. So let's get into the concepts. We were presented there with two conflicting moralities in Spock and Kirk. Kirk was determined to avenge, to police through destruction, to prevent further attack from the aliens, mm-hmm. whereas Spock was concerned about rash destruction and disrespect for sentient life, which is consistent in him. Yeah. I think it's Kirk that goes, I think it's Kirk that's more changeable depending on the circumstances. Yeah. I sided with Spock at the time, actually, mm-hmm. but on reflection, I can understand Kirk's position more. Yeah. So that's good writing, yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah. Although it might have been better writing if I'd been more conflicted whilst watching it. Yeah. Did Kirk have enough time to make a reasoned decision without losing the chance to implement the decision? They were speeding away, weren't they? 
I don't know. I think he was definitely right to pursue them. Maybe Spock was right that like saying that just pursuing them was enough to know that, you know, we're, we're not easily tricked. I mean, sure, you can take a cheap shot at some innocent people. But once you face a Federation ship that you're, you know, you're in for some Yeah, trouble. that's a big kind of whooper. I was interested in how differently Kirk's treated by the crew than Spock is when he's in charge. They don't challenge Kirk's authority at all. I overheard someone talking on that show you watch about Discovery uh-huh. saying Starfleet is consensus. Oh, right. Yeah. That wasn't the case in this no. episode. <laughs> no. <laughs> yes. I mean, that's the ideal that they strive for. Oh, you look so touched that uh, I said that. <laughs> He's got tears in his eyes. I am. But it's true. It's this, I think it's this beautiful, you know, ideal human civilization where that people can discuss ideas and work them out and figure out what's best for everybody. And, and it's not ruled by greed or hatred or any of these terrible emotions that humans have. So, mm. yeah. I think Kirk was ruled by hatred today. He was. Then we've got the Gorn, who's supposedly an intelligent being, the captain of a starship, a dangerously clever opponent. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Not so sure. Well, he caught Kirk in a crappy vine trap, you know. Yeah. That's pretty That's pretty good. And maybe he planned the whole thing, luring him towards it by knowing that Kirk would roll the big stone onto him, then pretending to be caught, and then Kirk yeah. comes down and he catches him. I don't know. They prove in this episode that humans are a promising species as far as predators go, offering hope for a peaceful future. Yeah, a common theme in Star Trek. Yeah. It's only when Kirk's forced to face his opponent to fight him without the power protection and the distance of his ship that he understands that it can't be done with, within his morality. Right. Before that, he'd been an angry, righteous policeman intent on destruction. Yeah. There's a lot going on with this episode, especially ethically speaking. Mm. In a way, Kirk wasn't that wrong. The Gorn were brutal, even if it was their territory. But they're an alien race. What we consider brutal could be seen as self-preservation. Maybe they're trying to avoid war. Mm. Kirk was, I feel, totally right to be angry. They killed a lot of people who were proponents of peace, didn't know that they were doing anything wrong. It's terrible what the Gorn did, a real waste of life. But is killing the Gorn going to bring those people back? Will it prevent more violence or create more violence? The show did a great job of framing that argument and letting you think about it. And were there innocents on that ship? For example, everyone except the captain may have been obediently but disapprovingly following his orders like Kirk's crew were doing. Yeah, that's right. And what about the love of a fair trial (laughs) that they usually enjoy? Yeah, I guess they just weren't in a position to capture the Gorns and put them on trial. When it's war, things change unfortunately Mm -hmm. he's certainly been pushed to hatred through finding the massacre being shot at having a crew member killed and being tricked by the invitation why did the metrons allow them to watch kirk on the screen it was (laughs) something to do with them preparing for his death and because they're fond of him but surely that's just cruel it seems kind of cruel especially since they can't do anything but i guess from a writing standpoint it just got the crew involved into what's going on Yeah. yeah which i liked maybe it was the metrons lack of understanding of human grief Maybe they're immortal. Yeah. Or maybe it's their accurate read on humans' attraction to reality survival TV. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yes, I give this one an eight. We've had the suggestion to break concepts into subscores so that one score is the execution of the concept they intended to convey. So I would say eight and the execution would be maybe a five. Okay. Looking back on it, the concepts were strong. They're seven. But again, not by your sci-fi definition particularly. Oh, yeah, you're right. It's not really very sci-fi. It could have been any place in time so yeah. maybe i'll drop that down it was six and execution of four. Oh, that's what i was gonna say oh whoa we <laughs> dreamed the same dreams yeah the execution i didn't feel particularly engaged so far so entertainment i liked that kirk was using the recording device as a way of letting us in on his inner monologue mm-hmm. an incredible fortune in stones but i would trade them all in for a hand phaser or a good solid club 
that added to the pathos, I thought. Yeah, yeah. There was some exceptionally weak fighting, though. <laughs> Do you think the Gorn actor could see through that mask? <laughs> I don't know. Is that why he had to be so slow? <laughs> I don't know. Or did they intend to speed it up in post yeah. so that Shatner would look particularly fast and he would just look normal? I, I don't know. I have no idea what they were thinking on this one. <laughs> <laughs> the stakes were so high, but I didn't feel any tension. Except for on the bridge. Yeah. It, it did seem kind of silly, especially the, the fighting with the Gorn and the guy. <laughs> but uh, as a kid, man, I loved it. Yeah. I loved it. The Gorn was great visually. I liked the puzzle solving element of it with the crew watching, but unable to help. Yeah. But it really should have been more entertaining. And I felt bad for you that your childhood dreams were getting shattered a little bit. <laughs> well, I was shattered, but... <laughs> Uh, I think that it all falls on the pacing of the mm. show. It just seemed very slow. I think that it might have been a half hour show wrapped up in a 44 minute package. Because oh. my editing eye saw a lot to cut out. Uh. And you're right. It wasn't as great as I remembered it being. So I was a bit disappointed. But the new remastered version had the Gorn blinking, which wasn't in the original. Oh, did it? Yeah. And the background enhancement was outstanding. The oh. original ones looked awful like they were just terrible because in the background they had like houses that you could see what it looks like is they they took like aluminum foil and painted it brown and like just overlaid it i mean i'll show you some pictures online some comparing and contrasting because the old ones look terrible but the new stuff looks great i couldn't tell where the set ended and the fake stuff began Mm -hmm. so i I just thought the remastered was really good on that particular yeah so i give it a four yeah four it really should have been more though rolling crawling zigzagging the gone (laughs) Making a cannon, but no, they managed to make it all a bit flat somehow. Yeah. I th- again, I think it's the editing. I think it was just too slow in the edit. Mm. Sexiness. Well, now that I've read a Kirk slash Spock story, <laughs> I was disappointed at the lack of sexiness between Kirk and Spock <laughs> in this episode. I can't go back now. Uh-huh. Spock did risk his life to get to Kirk with the information, but then he didn't seem bothered that he'd returned safely. Yeah. I know he can't express emotion, but still, <laughs> he was obviously excited and hopeful when he realised Kirk was making gunpowder. Uh-huh. So couldn't he have uh, used some of that emotion yeah. when he returned? Are they just doomed to be in a love triangle with the Enterprise? Kirk loves the Enterprise. Spock loves Kirk. <laughs> the ship loves Spock. Oh my gosh. I love how now it's all about the Kirk Spock relationship for you in the sexy major. <laughs> what else have I got? Ahura looked gorgeous though. I love her hair and makeup. Kirk looked a bit tired in this episode yeah. though. And I'm not that into Spock's grey eyeshadow. Everyone else, meh. No sexiness in story or deed in this episode. Just the latent sexiness of the actors, and that's a two. Yeah, two. Uh, next week, we are going to the past or the future oh. when tomorrow is yesterday. Oh. A little time travel fun. And uh, we got some new Patreon backers that I want to not only thank, but share a little fun facts about. Okay. Jennifer DeFord. She likes to flip pancakes and then catch them in her mouth. You go, girl. Luigi Regia is going to be the first man on Mars. Greg C. Haley once performed ballet with Mikhail Baryshnikov. <laughs> Tony Penny loves his squatty potty. Alexis can phase through matter. Patrick Ferguson has got a secret little bear that he carries around with him everywhere. Jackie Pearson has an extra set of teeth. She just keeps them in her back pocket. Oh, okay, yeah. not in her mouth. Andrew M. Reichart can swing from vines. Universal Head knows all of our secrets. And Andrew Black is going to do Europe this year. 
If you'd like to become a patron, please head over to patreon.com. P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Thank you all, you wonderful, gorgeous, beautiful patrons. Thank you so much for your support. We would not be doing the show without you. Thank you so much. Also, I don't want people to not go to nowherestreetwear.com and check out these awesome t-shirts. They are amazing. They've got Lovecraftian stuff. They've got some other fun jokes, other sci-fi nerd stuff that you would just love. I know you all would love them. Go there. Buy yourself a t-shirt. They're wonderful. Yeah, don't not go there. Enjoy. <laughs> and with that, I'm Chris Lackey. And I'm Rachel Lackey. And you've been listening to... Rachel Watches Star Trek. Oh, the stuff, eh?